Welcome to Visma Ski Classics podcast, Living You to Living. Visma Ski Classics is the long distance ski championships with 12 pro tour events and 35 pro teams, bringing professional and recreational skiers together. We will analyze the events on the tour, portray the legends of the sport, and help you to become a better skier. Team Ragde Ayendom's Turas Leyedalen, aged 36, has 11 Ski Classic States wins under his belt, making him a true legend in our Hall of Fame. He has twice won the Hertz Champion competition in the Visma Ski Classics Pro Tour in season 7 and 8. Additionally, he is often referred to being Mr. Majalonga due to his three victories in the race. This season he was on the podium twice, second at La Diaconela and Marcialonga. He also finished second in the Hertz Champion competition behind his teammate Andreas Nigord. This energetic athlete started his sports career in gymnastics and moved to skiing at an early age. In addition to his Visma Ski Classics career, he was a national ski team member in Norway and he participated at the Olympics three times in 2006, 2010 and 2014. He has four World Championship medals, two gold and two bronze ones. His trademark is the aviator sunglasses that he wears in every race. Really often. Uh, I race for Team Ragnar Jendom. I played the player on. He's a really tough uh, uh, opponent, and uh, but still he's a good, good guy. Um, when we are not racing, he's always focused on details, and he's a very creative uh, person. So it's it's uh, fun to discuss with him. He, uh, he loves to discuss uh, everything and. Uh, He's a really dedicated uh, guy. Uh, you, although he's in summer, he may seem uh, more uh, lazy, but he's uh, just taking maybe some time off and he starts training uh, very serious during summer, and then he always is strong in the, in the winter. He is quite uh, he's, he's a quite extreme uh, guy when it comes to all the details and maybe taking it a step further, like training even more or harder or yeah, trying to, to push the limits. We are not always uh, agree uh, when it comes to tactics, but uh, we, um, we try to, to plan it <laughs> before the races. But um, sometimes after the races, we can be, uh, be disagree about um, something. So, um, but, but he's a good guy and I, I love to be on, on the same team as him. Welcome to a new episode, and I'm Eric Wickstrom, is uh, sitting here in Oslo uh, with a beautiful view over the town, and I'm sitting with Tord Aschleyardalen. Welcome. Thank you, thank you. You have a beautiful house here, up uh, not in the mountains, but on, on the hill. Yeah, I can see directly over to uh, Holmkollen, uh, the national uh, park where we are doing the cross-country skiing, so that's... Gives go good motivation. So how far is it for you to the ski trails? Oh, that's just five minutes just behind here. So that's perfect. Oh, wow. So we need to... The first question is the, maybe the most important ones. What about the aviator thing? Maybe you have, told, to, to, um, you have uh, heard this question before, but why are you using those aviator glasses? Oh, it's, uh, it's about image. It's about uh, feeling uh, good and uh, looking good, and uh, well, that's what I can do to try to look good at least. So uh, it's an image, and I started with it uh, many years ago, and uh, actually now I, I can't even take them off. But from the beginning, I mean, it's not really good for skiing. You would su- suspect so, but. Uh, for me, they have been better uh, than normal goggles or sports eyewear because of the turbulence for my lenses. Sometimes they were 
jumping out in some downhills with the high speed, but uh, the aviators they are making a different kind of turbulence, and that's has worked out pretty good. So uh, I've never had that problem ever since. So, uh, so are, are you sponsored by Ray Ban? I've gotten some pairs, so yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it's hard for you to change. Yes, and it's. Um, I think they are working very fine for me, and then now it's an, uh, become an image as well. So it's. Uh, I think I'll stick to it. Okay, great. So <clears throat> yesterday, when I was uh, looking around and googling you a little bit, uh, I read a lot on your webpage, Team Jerdalen. It was a very, very ugly homepage with a style of it from the nineties. <laughs> Uh, with frames, <laughs> but it was very interesting to read about you as a kid. There was a lot of uh, stories there with you and your two brothers. So, can you tell us a little bit about how, what, how did you start to become not an athlete but uh, like doing activities as a kid? How how was it? I think it's uh, better if you ask because uh, my childhood was a bit different than uh, most people I think uh, I experienced a lot and I had as you said two brothers we have done a lot of fun things together so uh, if you just fire your questions I'll try to answer the best okay let's start with the team gym uh, in I think in Norwegian it's called Trupp Gymnastik uh, so that's what is that? Oh, gymnastics is uh, I started with uh, Olympic gymnastics like uh, bars and everything when I was a kid training with that and kept uh, trumpet till I was 18 I I was on the team I'm winning 18. up to 18 yeah so I won a, uh, that was team competition so I was on the team winning uh, what was then an official Norwegian championships in uh, trampoline or gymnastics for that. Wow, so, so what was your favorite trick or, or what do you say? Like, what's your well, then you uh, the whole team were doing three jumps uh, each and they're doing it in uh, what do you call it? Uh, everyone coming jumping for every second, so I had to go run there, do one jump, do a double uh, what do you call it? salto in Norwegian, I don't know, mm. and they say it's flip. Uh, in uh, the snowboard community I don't know what's it called in uh, English so uh, you do that and you land on this uh, try to land on your feet and get uh, off the track so everybody else are coming there so uh, you do three three rounds and uh, that's everything you get the chance to do Wow, so so can you do front flip and back flip on cross country skis? I haven't done uh, backflips because so the then you need a little bigger bigger jumps, but front flip is no problem. That you can do in pretty small jumps and everything. So what, can you still do it? Yes, that's okay. Is there a video of that? Uh, you probably find something on the YouTube. There's a lot out on YouTube, <laughs> but uh, I've gotten older and more uh, serious. In the last uh, 10 years so it's less and less jumping but yeah if it's enough snow I'll try to do it this uh, this holiday coming up now yeah. so, so when I was reading on this uh, beautiful or not beautiful uh, website uh, it was like the three of you were uh, one unit it seems like you're doing this team gym and then suddenly all three of you started to do cross country skiing yeah that's correct at that time we did uh, gymnastics and we did uh, swimming and we did some different other kind of sports um, but uh, the trainer stopped in uh, or you coach retired I just uh, retired and then we had to find something else to do on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then that was the time for skiing that's why I changed to skiing and then you were like 12 years old about 12 yeah and you're because you were born in 1983 yes and your other brothers how old are they i have a bigger brother one year older and a small one two and a half year younger okay so, so do you remember your first ski competition 
probably not the first one, but I remember some of the early ski competitions, yes. But uh, I wasn't a good child skier, not at all. I remember the first race I won. It was that was kind of a surprise because uh, we never we didn't expect that, so we thought it would must, uh, must have been something wrong with the timing <laughs> equipment. So <laughs> that was quite uh, unusual experience. But did you were you in a very early race disqualified? Do you remember that? Yeah, they say so, but I can't remember that. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's always these technical uh, rules for skating and classic, and uh, not making the ski glide in skating or in uh, what do you call it in English? Herringbone. Herringbone. So uh, it's a it's a story about that. I don't remember that, but uh, okay. probably it's probably true. <laughs> so you, the all three of you, turned from uh, gymnastics to skiing. Because yes. your coach quit in yes. uh, gymnastics, so that was your new sport. So did were your parents could they ski? No, not like uh, any professional kinds. They have uh, they have been out training or not? Yeah, training and uh, walking in the mountains, uh, more that kind of a level of training. So they didn't know didn't didn't know anything about training or waxing skis or anything. Mm. So they were just supporting us and uh, growing with us all the way up. Uh, and you ski there, and, and suddenly, only a few years later, when you were about like 14, 15, you suddenly got from number 70 to number three in this Huvudlandsrennet uh, in Norway, which is like a Norwegian nationals for... Uh, Yes, young, for young skiers, yes. So so when you were 14, you were like number 70, and when you were 15, you were number three. Uh, how, how was that possible? Oh, quite easy. Uh, I was, uh, when I was 14 and was about 70th position, that was fair position for me to be in that, uh, that age. I wasn't better. The week before that national competition, I, I learned about intervals. So uh, just before all every training before that has been just one pace. So that's when we learned about more about how to differentiate the training and actually learn about training not just be out there train. So for one year of correct kind of training that's the difference I would say. How much did you train when you were 15? I trained a lot actually. I trained every day and uh, sometimes twice a day. So I think it was at an age of fifteen, maybe four, five, five hundred, maybe hours during oh. that year. I would suspect. Did you have snow? Like, did you live close to the trails, or how could you? No, we trained a lot. We trained uh, um, cycling, running, uh, roller skiing, and also skiing. So. And not actually even close, not that close. We had to go by car for yeah half an hour, maybe even more, to get to the ski training because of uh, training together with other people at the same age and uh, advantage. So uh, then we went half an hour by car every uh, every time. So. But so you had to go far away for training, and you were fourteen, fifteen years old. How how? You train so much, how could you motivate yourself? No, it's, that's not a problem. That's never been a problem. I think that uh, motivates itself. If you uh, get the chance to do something that's uh, challenging and also uh, social, I think it's no problem to fill the time with it. So, Do so you think you have always been motivated for training? Yes, I think so. I think I've been lucky that way to like to get a new challenge and uh, find my way to own it. And then you suddenly, you were one of the best skiers as a junior. You won lots of races and and you won the the nationals as a 16-year-old guy. Uh, Then you had a year when you were sick. What happened there? Yeah, I was on national junior team and um, just got a flu-like uh, disease and uh, that actually destroyed the whole season, pretty much. Probably trained a little too 
too early after uh, or while I was sick, I suppose, and uh, struggled with uh, yeah sickness the rest of the season. So maybe a little due to you can say uh, not overtraining, but too much of everything. So your rapid development uh, when you were young, do you think that has anything to do with your gymnastic skills? No, I don't think I wouldn't uh, connect them that uh, closely. But I would say that gymnastics, like uh, base training, is perfect. There are not many uh, gymnasts that will uh, become Olympic champions from Norway. But I think it's very, very good base training for every sport or every kind of life for later on. I remember early in uh, in Vismaski Classics history, um, Team United Bakeries was doing a lot of gymnastics, like um, Thomas Alsgaard. Yes, I I heard about that too. Is that a Nor- Norwegian thing? Uh, no, because I uh, I'm not doing gymnastics trainings now. I think that's uh, I think that's wrong training when you are 25 years old and older. Then I think you need to do more specific training and differentiate or have alternative training. But uh, I think that kind of gymnastics training he was doing, Thomas Alskor and his team was doing there. I'd, that's not what I recommend, and that's not what I'm doing for my training. So so back to the three brothers. You you said you trained like 400 500 hours. What did your brothers do? Just the same. <laughs> at uh, at that time we um, we had only one training diary. My bigger brother, he was uh, writing it and uh, when we did something else or there was something different, I just added a little extra comment. So he was writing the whole training diary and I just had some comments maybe once a month. For how many years did you train like everything together? Uh, pretty much like uh, all the time until he was finished, uh, what do you call it, high school and started studying, moving to Oslo and started studying. At that time we changed. Well, a little earlier I, tried, I started to do something different, but yes, pretty but, much. But that. almost like five years. Yeah, or... For me, even even before that, through all our childhood, we did a lot of different stuff together. So, uh, just to write a training diary was uh, it was unnecessary to do it twice. <laughs> Were you even like? I guess you you did intervals with each other and you tried to beat each other. Yeah, my little brother he's three years younger, so I think he had a hard time, especially during the development when we were, you know, there's a lot of things happening to a body when you are in the puberty? 15. Yeah, during the puberty, 15, you're growing, you're getting muscles, you're exploding a little bit. And then uh, I think my little brother had a little harder time, but we we always find ways to train. So uh, at that time, my uh, our father he, and my little brother, they were on a tandem twin bike yeah. and um, me and my big brother had our, each our racer or competition bike and then when we were faster then we moved down to an off-road bike even though if we were riding on the uh, Road. roads it was no problem we went on a then slower bike just so they could keep up so we trained together we had training kayaks we had uh, two doubles so we just changed the teams so we were paddling together instead of uh, so running away from each other. You so. talk a lot about biking and kayaking. Was that all the way up to you were like 18 years old? This? Well, it's just uh, stopped. Uh, biking has gone a little down when I got to the senior national team for the Olympics and so on. Then I bike. Oh my, then we were uh, into a philosophy that biking was not that good training. It was more important to run. And well, even though through that time I kept the kayak training during summer times, so that's something I would actually cut it down on now the, during the last yeah, five, ten, five to ten years actually. But I think that's very good training. So if I'd been living by the water instead of the by the 
forest here, but I've gone more kayak paddling, so that's good training. What happened to your uh, brothers? Did they become skiers at an elite level? They were pretty good, but uh, never uh, World Cup level, but uh, pretty good national level, both of them. So they kept going until uh, studying and uh, other kind of jobs were more interesting. So they quit in in the middle twenties. So they never had that that uh, talent that uh, I was lucky to have and develop. So uh, they were going for it for a long time, but never uh, succeeding that much. And after a while, quitted. So. Okay. And and how often do you see them nowadays? Oh, it depends a lot. Sometimes we uh, live uh, on a cabin together for a week or two, and uh, other times it's uh, once a week or once a month. That depends. Oh, so they live in Oslo? Both of them live in Oslo, and my big brother has two children, so uh, we are closer like um, with my children and doing a lot together. And my little brother he is uh, working a lot and... Uh, Partying a lot, so different. <laughs> but he's still training, so we we are training together when we have time. Oh, but you know, I'm training during the time the kids are at school and uh, kindergarten. But he's then working, so he's training at the evenings. So that's hopeless. I'm not training at the evenings. <laughs> then I'm finished training, you know. So that's on me, actually. We're gonna um, do ten questions. With some short answers. Ready? I'll try. So the first one is pretty easy. Where do you live? Oslo. And your family? Yeah, yeah they live here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is I it have a wife and uh, two kids. My son is uh, six and uh, my daughter is soon three years old. And do you have an education? Yeah, I've finished medical, uh, but I'm not practicing. And your occupation, your work? Is to be a skier. And your favorite workout? Oh, I'm not so sure anymore. I find uh, a lot of them... Uh, no, I I like the combination of uh, slow and long, both roller skiing and uh, also when, when it's perfect winters. Hasn't been that this year, but uh, perfect winter conditions, long trainings for three, four, five hours is perfect. But also a uh, easy uh, five times five interval where you're uh, trying to get the highest heartbeat, but not not die. That's a perfect. That's a very nice training as well. And uh, your worst workout. Oh, it's in the neighbor room here. That's a ski egg. That one has killed me a lot of times. <laughs> and so the double pulling ergometer. And how many pairs of skis do you have? I don't know. I've never counted it. There are always too many. Because uh, I remember on the national team, we had a, we had a rule that uh, you can't have more than 10 skating pairs and 13 classic pairs. No one could stick with that rule. You always need new pairs to test against those you have, so it's it's a mess. It's a big mess, so it's hopeless. Who, who is testing your skis? Oh, we are testing a lot together, and we have also ski testers when they are out on the races. And uh, well, we have a good program there, so uh, there's a lot of lot of testing. That's part a big part of the skiing competition. When you go to a race. How many pairs of skis do you bring? Oh, I don't bring them anymore. It's the team who's br- who are bringing them around. So uh, happily, I don't have to carry them to the airport and so on. And the day before a race, how many pairs do you test? Oh, that depends a lot on the conditions. So we are we are testing a lot, yes, a lot. And in the morning? Uh, depends sometimes, but uh, we try to uh, test finish during the day before and uh, let the testers do the testing during the night if that's necessary. Okay, okay back to the, the, the 10 questions. So, um, what type of roller skis do you use? We, uh, we have a deal with six. So we use the new, uh, what's it called? The new black uh, six oh, roller skis, the carbon ones. 
They are pretty good. And the wheels, are they slow or fast, medium? Or? Oh, I tried to change a little because um, actually I like slower wheels. I think a lot of people are using too fast wheels and that's like uh, skiing on uh, downhill on the uh, springtime when it's frozen during the nights and that's that's not what it's usually cross-country skiing is about when it's competition. So I would use... I normally use slower skis than the others, but I try to change a little to get the variation. Oh, so you not use the same resistance every time? No. Uh, there's a limit, like you can't have uh, two tall poles. There is a rule. Uh, yeah. Would you have used taller poles if there was no rule? Yes. How how tall how, how tall are you? I'm 180, and I would have used uh, 162 and a half. That's what I did before that rule came. I think it's a stupid... But it's like skating? Yeah, it's pretty much like skating. I tried longer bones, but uh, I feel that's getting too slow on the flat part, so I would have used about the skating length. I think that was that was perfect for me. Sometimes up to 165 when there's a lot of hills. Clo- a little bit shorter when it's flatter. So when did you start using taller poles? Uh, the first year I did, that was at uh, 15, I did. So uh, I started a lot of that revolution, but uh, I think it's a stupid rule that we're not allowed to use longer poles because it doesn't make any difference. We are double poling with the shorter poles and we are double poling with longer poles, so it doesn't make any difference. Mm. So I think this... Uh, Technical zones, they at least make a difference to the race compared to the pole lengths. I think that's just extra bureaucracy and uh, problems for the arrangers and everyone. So. I remember I was joining uh, your team for, for camp at Majorca in the fall of 2015. It was a tough one. With a, I remember the recovery workout was a five-hour bike ride with the intervals in all uphills <laughs> <laughs> and time trial or a team time trial on the flat sections. Um, yeah, it was a good resting day. Yeah, it was a good resting day. <laughs> but then I remember you're you're changing your poles in some workouts with longer poles, and I was wondering what what's happening in here. And then suddenly. Everyone was using taller poles for one year before um, uh, b- before the rule came. So, but you were a little bit ahead of all that. We had a big discussion with the Auckland boys because they meant they had to use more shorter poles, and uh, I I didn't agree with them. And um, of course, they are legends here, so we had to listen to them. That was my first year. But during the, I tested a lot, but during that time I just decided to do some real intervals with it and test and do some times, have time trials with it. And it's, you can do that by yourself, but you also need to do it with the other, uh, with the competition, with your teammates to make it more real. Because doing something alone or inside on a treadmill is sometimes too controlled. So I think you need to test it also with everybody else when things are happening because that's everything is not at the uh, same pace like Olaen Bjørdal was so good at keeping. <laughs> it's more action. Look at Krabo. So your 2015 were your first season in Vismaski Classics. Yes. Did you use so you did you use those to- uh, longer poles? Yes. So you you won Marchalonga with longer poles than allowed now. Mm. One sixty two and a half. Mm. So, oh, uh, yes. Back to the questions again. <laughs> uh, how would you describe yourself as a dad? Uh, a playful one. Uh, yeah, mostly playful. I think that um, describes me uh, enough. How is it to 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 visit the kindergarten in uh, wintertime when you're afraid of getting sick? It's uh, it's challenging because uh, you know the sickness will destroy a lot, but you also know that uh, focusing too much about it will only make you nervous and uh, knit you up and make you also sick. So 
it try to just be hygienic and uh, when you're bringing the kids back home you still have to play play with them and they are bringing the sickness from the kindergarten so it's not much you can do about that in the kindergarten when you're delivering or picking up so that's so small part of it when you have kids when you have kids for yourself you know they're uh, running over your face and everything so it's uh, that small part of delivering in kindergarten and picking up that's nothing compared to the rest of the life of it so I think it's better to have extra uh, what do you call it overskud we call it in the region. Yeah, extra energy. Yeah, just being extra energy during the uh, whole period of that week or that month when you are home and training up to big competitions. And then it's better to, when we are doing this January trip, I was out for five uh, weeks, then you can do extra training or maximize a little more. So... So... Would you have like, um, would you bring home 10 three year old kids for, for a party the week before an important race? Well, that would be a big risk, but uh, I think the kids they are uh, changing uh, water bottles and uh, dummies and everything. So that's with these small kids, it's hopeless anyway. Everything everybody got there is moved around. So I, uh, I'm staying one step further away because I'm only close to my daughter, but still it's, I think everything is passing on. So you have to be in, you have to be in uh, energy uh, overload to fight it instead of uh, put up a wall. Yeah. Well, these days now with the coronavirus and everything, I think maybe they will increase their focus on hygienic uh, Efforts in the kindergarten, so maybe it gets better, but kids are kids, they will always be kids. They're eating dirt anyway. <laughs> in 2011, you became world champion in relay, and you got a bronze medal at 50k freestyle in the, in the same championship. How was that? Oh, that was uh, back home here. I can look over to the home colonists. Uh, good memories, yes. It was uh, perfect, uh, perfect time. It was a lot of audience all around the course. It was, uh, it was um, fantastic days. How is it to to, to win a, a relay at Holmenkollen compared to to win Marcelonga? It's two completely different events and uh, competitions uh, as well. In Hormkoll, it was a lot of audience, a lot of people. It was more like a, a rock concert, actually, feeling. And uh, while uh, Marcelonga and it will be more compared to the 50 kilometer because you, when you get so exhausted, like you usually do in this very long competition, you get also very emotional. You're so tired, you can't hold anything back and... Uh, so uh, it's a very emotional feeling to do these long races. Yeah. And, and you know, you did this almost the exact same thing two years later in Val de Fiemme. You got a gold medal at the World Championships and you got a bronze medal at 15K freestyle. Yes. And that was good times as well. It was also an individual start. That wasn't my specialty. I'm more like a mess start. That's what your uh, your reputation. You was good at uh, follow someone's back. Yeah, I like that best. That what your was your thing to do in the World Cup and in World Championships. Yeah, and in the ski classics as well. <laughs> but if if we look at the, the World Cup, you were like in in 2008. You had uh, you won the Norwegian Championships and you were fourth. In the in the total World Cup, and you got on the podium two times, but other than that, you weren't that good in the World Cup. Like in 2011, you were 33 overall, and in 2013, you were 50th overall. You must have had really good championships. I've uh, had some episode of uh, the. It's easy to call it overtraining. Actually, it's more like. Uh, 
a two match total um compare combined with uh, only water on drinking belt and uh, some experience in the experiments in training oh you mean you were on long distance workout with only water yeah and uh, and other experiments that i what are our experience oh I'll, i'll keep some of them i think some of them are good and some of them are uh, uh closer to uh, embarrassing but uh, we're listening <laughs> yeah i know it's uh, tell us about one we're like skiing uh, yeah. for f- yeah it no, was like us. yeah six hours skating uh, roller skiing uh, every second hour with and without poles every instance. second hour without poles yeah and uh, then since we did that on the first training with the second training that day was uh, or uh, could be just uh, classic but uh, diagonal with only arms for two hours so, uh, so, so we, had, we, we did something like that in the Period of time. And that was one day? Yeah. So, Six hour uh, plus two hours. Yeah. And only so with diagonal striding with only arms, that's like harder than double pulling. Yeah. So uh, there are some stupid things I've done and some funny things I've done. Some, yeah. So uh, I think um, when you combine that with some malnutrition and other stuff, it's. Uh, I got our. Uh, Got some hard beating and uh, had some problems with uh, recovering time for some of this year. So then I got uh, better at uh, to get the best out of my body, my shape, and find the way to top it all into a championships to or to the qualifications. Sometimes I had to do that as well. So, oh, so you mean to peak to to the right day and exactly to peak the performance and to peak the results into championships. Mm. And also that uh, when I had done that for some years, uh, the stupid training, then the um, result was also that uh, my training wasn't that good for some years afterwards because I had to make a compromise to just uh, stay ahead of it for some time so how much did you train those years half maybe half years also then it was down to four or five hundred only so a lot less than the others and have you trained over a thousand hours some years yes but you were in 2014 you were sixth in total in tour de ski in 2014. 14. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then you quit after that season with World Cup skiing and transferred to long distance skiing. Yeah. What? Were, how did you think about this it, switch? Yeah, it was actually I. Uh, there are a lot of good skiers in Norway, so they wanted to make some changes on the team, and then they said it's not room for a guy who's always good in uh, the longer races and uh, not so good in the short races and. That's a problem for most of us doing the long distance races. We are good in 30 and 50 kilometers, but to do those races in the China championships, you have to qualify through a 15 kilometer. So individual start to go fast in a 50 kilometer mass start, it's pretty stupid, but that's the way it is. And then it's kind of boring to only do that two, maybe three times a year. What's your best at when you have another competition doing it 10 times a year? So mm. I'm pretty happy to do that change. So it was the same year as you uh, <coughs> did not belong to the national team anymore? Yes, that's correct. <coughs> so what did you do that summer? You, after, in uh, maybe in May 2014, you decided to switch or... Yeah, or the team, national team decided to switch me out, and uh, I was a little uh, old at that year. The first year, I was also training for the World Cup, trying to qualify for the uh, Falun, the World Championships there. So I wanted to do that race, but uh, that wasn't that chance. So during that summer, I was both doing the Wisma Ski Classic specialized training with a lot of long races double pulling at the same time keeping up with my skating which was my best part 
and also diagonal. So that was uh, three ways. Uh, <laughs> actually, you just need to train, then you'll be a good skier. Because you have you succeeded directly. You won a race your your first season, and and of course you became even better a few years later. But you you were right on. You were a good long distance skier. I was a long distance skier before I turned into the Visma Ski Classics and I got better when I more specialized even more into the Ski Classic and double polling. So uh, if I'd done that directly from 2015, I think I would have been better that season as well. So. Yeah. And what? And, and you have become a Visma Ski Classics champion and uh, there are many other very good skiers from the World Cup that are not as successful. Why do you think you have succeeded? I think that's because I was a long distance racer before I changed. You can't just pick any World Cup uh, skier and put them over, but if you pick the right ones and they train for it, they will become they will be real good. But if you pick good skiers in the World Cup who are specialized in diagonal or skating and maybe just 10 to 15 kilometer they don't have any chance. Oh, so you still think there are similarities? Because, I mean, a 50k race in uh, in the World Cup is a lot more uh, shorter hills, steeper hills, more turns, more... Uh, like the, the courses are totally different, but you think it's still similarities? With the 50 kilometer, there are still similarities, but there are also differences. So uh, if you have a guy who's uh, actually having a problem for the last 10 kilometers of the 50 kilometer, yeah, that's when we are starting the races, actually. So uh, you need to specialize your training into Wisma Ski Classics if you want to do good there. Yeah. <clears throat> if you look at your everyday life, h- how is uh, how is your training now? Or not everyday life, but your everyday training. How, how is it different compared to when you were skiing shorter distances? A lot more double polling, longer training sessions. I do uh, only one training session a day, usually. So it it's getting long, even with intervals or just slow training. It's long sessions usually. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk more about your training. Is it mostly once a day? So, so if you have intervals, it's still a three-hour workout, or yeah, usually. How many hours do you do every year nowadays? More than I did on the national team. And that was sometimes a thousand? Yeah, that was up to a thousand, so now I've been above that as well. So you train about a thousand hours per year? Yeah, and also divide it a little bit more, so I'm maybe even more off in the springtime and uh, even training a lot more in the end of the summer and beginning of the autumn. So, So... Let's take a look at the week in, uh, for example, May when you have started the training again um, after a season. And, uh, and, you're and then we have just ended the season, so <laughs> okay, hardly let's do, training in May. <laughs> okay, let's do June. <laughs> yeah, June is just having a good time going out training with the other skiers around here, doing some uh, so roller skiing. Oh, it's in May. In June, there's not so interesting training. It's just a it's just a train. Do whatever you want. But do do you do like interval sessions every week year round? Ah uh, no. I try not to do too many of those in the springtime. Then it's better to do other stuff. But if the other guys want to do an interval, I may be with them. So it's okay. Mm. Okay, it's it's lot relaxed. It's really okay. relaxed in the springtime. Maybe some extra strength training to build uh, stability and avoid uh, interest uh, later in the season. Let's go to September and you're not in a camp, you're at home delivering and picking up kids. What are you doing on Monday, for example? Monday is usually a long long distance session. And that's roller ski for? Usually roller skiing, long, long distance. And long is? Long is long. Six hours? Can be. It can be six hours? Yes. Wow. And then Tuesday? Tuesday would be intervals, usually. Also roller skiing? 
or uh, skiing or running depends on the weather and uh, different conditions and the feeling of the body yes and what's your favorite skier interval workout or you, the one you oh, usually do favorite yeah it's uh, never favorite it's uh, <laughs> it's always a pain no it's not always you shouldn't do all this pain you should uh, try to keep uh, high uh, heart rate and high way of breathing without being too tired or too stiff that's a good interval so on the last interval, you're not going flat out? Not every time, no. Not at all. So, so what's an example of a skier interval? Eight times eight minutes, uh, one minute break. And on those eight minutes, what's your pace? Oh, in the, when I'm being sick or when I'm out of it, it's somewhere between 150 and 155 per 500 meter and when I'm in better shape I can work it down to 146 maybe. Okay, so 146 minute per 500 meter when you do 8 times 8 with 1 minute rest and you I are, think that's my personal best, yes. Your personal. Okay, 150 when they run 150 is easy, so uh, 148 oh. is pretty standard. And you're around 70 kilos? Yeah. And what resistance do you use from 1 to 10? I usually stay on 7. I think that's uh, where I'm comfortable. But uh, I can also change a lot because there's conditions are changing out there. So So did you hear that, all listeners? Now you do that workout. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Try to beat him. It's no problem. It's easy to beat me. I'm far from the best on the team, so it's... uh, And uh, so then you have a very long distance on Monday and then some intervals on Tuesday and on Wednesday? Uh, Monday, Wednesday and Friday they are long distance training because then the kids are in kindergarten at school and I have time to train. So then I ah. deliver, I train, I pick up or wife picks up, depends on what kind of work ah. she has that day. So. so. Wow. And is, could you run for six hours also? No, I don't think I find that... Uh, that good. I've been running up to four hours, but sometimes five hours. But I think it. I don't think that gives the same. You just get tired in the legs instead of uh, getting the technique out of it as well. So oh. it's more into roller skiing or uh, diversified changing 50-50. Do you skate also? Not. Haven't done that so much last three, four years. Yeah. No. And on the Thursday. Thursday is back to intervals. A lot of different kind of intervals. Just have fun. Yeah. Different kind of things. You mentioned five by five minutes five, before. Five times five is perfect. Or six times five actually I use most of the time. So maybe even some shorter strides, but more of them. And depends what you do. And then we have the weekend? In the weekends, it depends on what we are doing uh, as a family. If we're going to some vacations or if we stay back home if we stay back home we have uh, uh, Sats Elixia with uh, playing area for the kids that's perfect to use then I can do some another interval or some strength training strength training so that's very fine and then it's uh, it's 24-7 or not 24-7 it's from 7 to 7 full time activity <laughs> <laughs> with some training sessions inside as if you try uh, can. so weekends is more like you're squeezing something in yeah okay so, so when you're doing this four hours or six hours long workouts on roller ski what's your heart rate uh, it's uh, it's lower it's about uh, 60% maximal and you don't going faster than that on those no it's plus minus when I'm in worse shape I have to go a little faster to keep up with the other guys and then it can be really high but uh, when I do it myself I think it would be about uh, about 60% yeah. yeah and you have a, a great team team Ragda Eindum with lots of strong skiers yes <laughs> do, do you train when you're together when you're not on camps uh, no not so much I train a little bit even Monfjell when we were on team but this last year we have had uh, we have been on different teams so we have been but then you hate each other yeah now we're not talking <laughs> to each other <laughs> no but we have uh, had uh, different times for the training camps so we haven't been that much home at the same time so we haven't been training that much together but uh, it's easier for me to train with him since he is living just 500 meters away from me 
instead of Anders who's living on the other side of Oslo. It's not that big a city, but to go by car over there to train or to meet him on the train. So he's training with Simon or someone else over there or by himself. He has also kids. We have to find his time to train and train when he has time. So just like me, instead of these other guys who are just uh, lying on the couch anyway, <laughs> so they're making the time plan according to their training. So uh, it's a little different for us with kids. Yeah. We train when we have the chance back home. Is there going to be more kids? No. <laughs> that was fast. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's uh, hard enough to find time for training now. So it's... Uh, are they, they're three and six years old. Do they ski? Yes. But they're not on ski training yet. But uh, they're skiing and... Uh, we're doing that when it sits. So right now it's the 12th of March in 2020, and we we have, it's in the middle of, or maybe not in the middle of it. It's in the beginning of or the end of the Corona. Uh, that's affecting a lot for skiing, and Reista Leppet is cancelled, and the Birkebeiner in it is cancelled and Ulis uh, Levy cancelled. What do you think of all this? Oh, that's... Uh, it's sad. It's uh, it's not a funny thing to have a pandem- uh, pandemic uh, running around here, so uh, we have to take courses, and of course, uh, cross-country skiing is entertainment for everybody watching, and it's sport and amusement for those participating, so... I understand that you have to cut on those kind of uh, arrangements first, so uh, it's easy to understand, but it's boring for us who wants to do the race because we've been preparing for it, we've been training for it. I would for sure love to do those races, so that's uh, sad for us, And but it would have been even more sad for those who would have gotten sick by it or because of it, so... So most likely the season is over now. So um, could could you sum it up? Are you satisfied with your season? It's uh, been a strange season. I've been in uh, okay shape due to at least compared to the training I did in the summertime was with a lot of problems in the summertime. The autumn time was really good, so I've had a good season, good good uh, form, but. Uh, had some uh, small, uh, yeah, bad luck or things that hasn't gone my way, I would say. And uh, now with this, uh, some small tactical uh, choices made during the races and small, yeah, what do you call it? Uh, Coincidence, I would call it. Making a decision if whether to win or to be number nine or something. So small coincidences makes different, uh, makes huge uh, results on the results list. So uh, that's been a little bad, and now I'm losing for sure. Two of those races that would have suited me with Birken and Rastalöpe with a lot of capacity. And I feel that I'm on actually still still going strong, so uh, that's too bad. And then we'll see about Ilyuslevi if that is if that's uh, a race this year or if it's not. Yeah. Would guess it's not, but we'll see. Uh, on your team, you have um, two great uh, skiers with about this, the same profile. It's you and Petri Liesen, and then we have another great skier with. A little bit different profile, more like uh, good in, in the sprint in the end of day in the race. Andreas Nygård, how is it to to race with those teammates? All three of you can win. All three of you could win the yellow jersey uh, in a good year. How is um, how are you talking before the race and during the race when it's going to end up? Well, if the race uh, the season is finishing now, then we have won the yellow jersey. Each of us two times so uh, it's, so it's uh, for sure it's uh, good skiers and uh, we all want to win and we all uh, have our different strengths and 
weaknesses. So uh, sometimes it can be a little team tactics that can be both good and bad for us. And sometimes it's just the strongest guy going fastest. So sometimes it's uh, challenging. Other times it's easy to make it that way. I am Andreas Nygård, Team Rogde Einom. Told us Leadon or told us everyone else is calling him or Dr. Jadon, which is his official work title is first and foremost, I would say a really, really good teammate and a caring and giving a champion. He is extremely good at sharing his knowledge, sharing his thoughts. He's a really he's a really straight uh, shooter. He never puts anything uh, in the middle and he if he has an opinion he will uh, give it to you. And uh, yeah, I've been on uh, the same team as Todd for I think it's five seasons now and I must say I have uh, learned a lot from him uh, both as a uh, human being but also uh, as a skier and it's funny how he always <laughs> gain seven to eight kilos in the summertime and uh, drops it when the winter uh, is closing uh, upon us and uh, when the season starts he's always in shape and he's always healthy and I think uh, that is a big uh, reason why Torb has been fighting for winning the yellow champion Hertzbib I think it's five seasons in a row when he has won it two times just because he's so consistent he, he dodged every sickness his children and his wife has back home and he makes the training every week weekend day in day out and when Marcelonga comes in January he is always so sharp and his eyes are just popping out of his bald head <laughs> and uh, you can just uh, just by being with him and just watching him uh, you know he's in shape and um yeah, it's inspiring to be on the same team with people who has achieved a lot and who also want to achieve a lot in the future. So, uh, the tortoise, uh, actually, I must say, a, a person I really look up to. I did an interview with you in the fall 2017. And then uh, on the question, how for how long are you going to ski? You said like this, I don't have a clue. I might race for one or ten more years. Right now, I feel satisfied with the team and the lifestyle. Is that your answer today as well? Yeah, I can just say copy-paste. You'll never know. <laughs> That's perfect. It's uh, just like the rest of the world now. You never know what's going to happen, so... Just live uh, live for now, and if you're happy and satisfied, keep on doing it. And uh, But I think it's also good to have something to change, not to chase. So if you're chasing something, it's good. If you're just staying status quo, it's not that good. So you have to find something to chase, then it's perfect. At what age do you think it will be very hard to keep the same level? I mean... What did Anders talk about there? He's, uh, he's, I have a mentor there, so he said that uh, oh, it's no problem until you are 42, 43, but after that age, it starts to go down, he said. So still many years to come. No, so you have five more to. years for getting better. Yeah, see, according to him, yeah, that's a possibility. Hmm. After the same interview, you, you, you asked me like on the question because I asked you what are you going to do after a career and you said I don't know what do you think Eric because <laughs> it seemed like you're not you're not just going to stop skiing and then start working as a doctor no I have a possibility to do that and uh, do the what we call tunus before new beginner uh, assessments but 
I might do that, but uh, I might find something else as well. I don't know. I don't know yet. That's same here. <laughs> See, here go. I'm really happy about skiing and also helping out with some startups. Helping up with startups? Yeah, I'm also helping up with, for example, Racefox to uh, develop uh, technical advices for both skiing and running to make... Uh, People like you and me and everybody else who wants to run and ski faster or better or without injuries keep going for a longer time. What else projects are you involved in? Also heart rate monitoring, which monitors the heart for, um, let's say, for me, I've done it for seven or eight years, but for other people, measure it for three days to one week and then you look at the variation between every heartbeat and can say, whether you are stressed out or relaxed, if you're in a good health or not, and we help each individual to be their best and to perform better, both at work and at home. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. And Thank you. You have a nice day, and we'll see what race is going to be the next one. Yeah, if it's uh, in the end of... April or if it's beginning of uh, November again, so we'll see. This podcast is a W Sports Media production.